This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by you mobile. 5G makes business sense. I'm Philip C and this is The Breakfast Grill. In the studio with me is Malaysian Green Technology and Climate Change Corporation Group CEO Shamsul Baha Muhammad Noor as we get a sense of the progress of Malaysia's decarbonisation strategy. A very good morning to you, Shamsul. Hi, Philip. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been a long time since we had a chat, but it feels quite recent. But it's interesting to always have you back to, on the show because, you know, with respect to Malaysia's decarbonisation roadmap, it's changing so fast, right? We didn't have Netter when we last spoke to you. Now we have this National Energy Transition Roadmap. In your view, is Netter the silver bullet for Malaysia achieving net zero by 2050? Now, we have to look at uh, what Malaysia's commitment was. We were we committed to be a net zero greenhouse gas emission nation as early as 2050. Okay, and uh, in the latest fourth uh, biennial uh, update report to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, 80% of the greenhouse gas emitted out coming from the energy sector. So looking at that, netter is important for us to understand what needs to be done. And the energy trilemma that we are facing now mm. is on security, affordability and sustainability. So NETA would give an opportunity not only to have a just transition towards uh, transitioning towards um, 70% of RE by 2050, but as well as trying to create a whole new economy uh, this gives an opportunity to the players to get themselves ready and what needs to be done. So under NETA, we are focusing on six focus sectors. Uh, number one is energy efficiency. Then you have renewable energy. Yep. You have hydrogen. You have bioenergy. You have green mobility and carbon capture, utilization and storage. Now, the total amount of worth of economy that can be pulled in into Malaysia, the investment goes beyond one trillion. And um, so, looking at all of those effort that the uh, what we can offer on the table, bringing in uh, new industries, bringing in technology providers, bringing in investors. So, Netter not only focusing on just ensuring that we are a low carbon and climate resilient economy, but to spur the whole economy. I think though the issue we have is really great aspirations, really robust targets there. But you said a very interesting number, one trillion ringgit worth of investments. How realistic is it for Malaysia to be able to secure and source that amount of investment to be able to achieve this decarbonisation? Just by looking at uh, in the NETA uh, report, what needs to be done is we need to uh, shut uh, most of our coal-fired power plant. That's by 2029. And 7 gigawatt will be wiped out from uh, the source of uh, coal. So we're looking on how to uh, convert them into renewable energy. So that needs a lot of investment. And you talk about um, to install and retrofit government buildings with uh, energy-saving devices. Uh, that require billions. 
you are looking at on how to produce uh, biofuel on um, on how to ensure that by 2050 um, most of the electric vehicle will be on the road right mm. so this require a lot of investment and not only on what the consumer will be looking at as well as the industry to produce to develop to manufacture so we know what we need to invest in the central question is how are we going to secure the investment still that is the central question isn't it the government will have significant challenges in securing the investment we know what is we know that we need to have 0% coal share of installed capacity we know we need 70% renewable share installed capacity by 2050 the issue isn't the what it's the how we secure the money okay it's all about um, some incentive provided by the government under mgtc we are uh, the custodian of the gtfs green technology financial scheme where this year alone we are pulling in 1 billion for industry players mm-hmm. to move into green sectors to to manufacture to provide services and uh, that amount is not only strictly 1 billion it will be continuing on 2024 2025 and onwards so incentivization is important to spur the economy to get the players to be interested but what we are also uh, looking at is for the FDI for the foreign direct investment uh, when you come up with a certain roadmap you have laid down all the path way towards achieving a certain targets so this gives an opportunity for those uh, foreign investment or investors to come in to be part of it um roadmap ensure security in terms of um ensuring that whatever that the players outside players brings in uh, will be fulfilled so this are the commitment that what malaysia has mm. so so it is it is vital not only the government provide incentives um not so much on subsidy but incentives creating a way to make it effortless or seamless way of the investors to bring in what they have let's deep dive on this incentive structure we have budget 2024 coming out in in a month's time what type of incentives do you want to see the budget the government release in order to attract this huge amount of capital we require because as you said that 1 billion of that green technology financial financing scheme is really a drop in the ocean we really need those interesting incentives in the view that government public finances are really under stress okay um to create an economy obviously you need to export more products right and on the 1st of october this year the uh, eu the uh, european union came up with a mechanism they call it a cbam carbon border adjustment mechanism so what it does is that any um companies that wish to export their product to europe will have to do and to to report their carbon so they need to have carbon reporting right so carbon needs to be uh, monitored carbon needs to be managed so what we have at mgtc we have an operating system we call it low carbon operating system that you could use a friendly operating mm. system that you could be looking at scope 1 2 and 3 on what are the energy usage that you have what a uh, sort of uh, carbon that you release from your operation to be to be captured 
to be collected and kept all, all those data in the operating system. And this is vital for any companies to export needs to do this monitoring, right? So we have spoken to various parties, uh, to Brusa, to um, FMM, to SME Association. For Malaysian company, they need to actually have this sort of uh, platform to do the monitoring. Because if you do not have that, they will be losing out on... I don't dispute, right, the importance of this platform. But when I listen to you, these platforms really are functioning to enable us to remain viable in current business, right? That's, I think, goal, to remain being able to continue to trade with these countries who are now imposing these requirements. The Netter has a different ambition, right, which is to really spearhead, accelerate that. So we cannot just have more than just the platform, isn't it? We need more incentives or a different form of incentive structure for us to attract that one trillion capital investment that you, you talk about. You're right, Philip. We have various proposals that we put forth to the government. Uh, but some of those proposals would be either it's a short-term, mm. mid uh, medium-term uh, uh, proposal or long-term proposal. Um, but to move towards becoming a net zero or becoming a 70% renewable energy mix in the energy um, sector, we need to look uh, not only on solar panel. For example, we also need to look on the production of hydrogen. Hydrogen plays a vital role because it is easily accessible. Okay. But hydrogen is just one. Another uh, focus that we should be looking at closely is on biomass. Biomass coming from waste material, You're coming from either municipal waste, from agricultural waste, from livestock, even from sewage. So those can be converted as feedstock for the biomass industry. Now, at the moment now, Malaysia are only looking at 1.2% of the installed capacity mm. um, from, from biomass power plant. But according to METO, the Malaysian Energy Transition Outlook, we are looking at 9% by 2050. But, but from what I gather, we should be looking at higher volume. So at MGTC, we are developing this biomass ecosystem on, because biomass is not only looking from the waste product, which are byproducts, we have to look on how to ensure it to be a sustainable feedstock. We need to have plantation. For example, we need to grow more bamboos because bamboo uh, have uh, not only it, the carbon sequestration is higher at 35%, much more than other plants. We also have to look at on how to uh, store carbon. So once we have the process of uh, production of bamboo plantation, uh, through a pyrolysis process, you can produce biochar and biochar store carbon. Now, what it does is this is all about carbon removal. So you store carbon, so it goes well with the CCUS that we're looking at. So once you have this uh, carbon storage, and uh, biochar is, is, is a different uh, spectrum of, uh, yeah. of uh, feedstock because this goes well to the even... Um, uh, on the uh, looking at the food security as well as energy security because it has a higher calorific value yeah. compared to coal. But what I think is so interesting when you give that example is that 
you know, for us to adopt this energy transition, there are very unique, specific levers that you need to leverage on to really move these leader, lead, you know, these levers across the board. Right? Who's the coordinating body to decide what is the right energy mix going forward, and how do we play the right incentive structures for each one? Because they sound to be very unique and different for each energy source. And who makes the call in terms of going forward? Yes, these are the right incentives that will actually deliver the best ROI in accelerating our just transition for net zero 2050. Now, the whole, uh, this will create a whole new economy, right? Yeah. So what the Ministry of Economy does, it looks on the overall um, broad um, uh, effort to ensure that the economy uh, stays resilient, right? But under our ministry, the NREC, uh, Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change, energy is under our ministry. So we are the one who will be fulfilling the needs and requirement. Uh, whatever regulation, whatever act that needs to be implemented, whatever policies that need to be structured, will be coming from uh, our ministry. Uh, however, when you look at across the board, we are also looking at uh, other various ministries that will be contributing, KPKT for one, because they will have the source of uh, energy that we're looking at. Uh, you're looking at MOSTI, they are looking on the how to provide innovation as well as technology. So all of the ministries that are relevant would be contributing towards building up the uh, energy supply for Malaysia. All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, our conversation with Injek Shamsul from MGTC about progress towards COP28 and green mobility. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Welcome back. Joining me in the studio today is Inchek Shamsul Bahar Muhammad Noor, CEO of MGTC, as we get a sense of MGTC's role in the government's push to accelerate our decarbonisation roadmap. Now, Shamsul, you're going to, MGTC is going to be spearheading Malaysia's charge at COP28. What is Malaysia pushing for at this upcoming COP in Dubai? Yes, uh, COP will be in Dubai from the 30th November until the 12th of December. We have just two months to go. What we have done this year is slightly different from the previous years. Uh, usually the government will be um, narrating whatever policies uh, towards mitigating climate change, towards meeting the objective of uh, SDG. But for, for this particular year, what we have done, we have created a pool of advisors uh, which we have group them into six clusters. One is economy and finance. Another is trade and industry. Then we have natural resources. We have energy. We have sustainable development and technology and innovation. So the 34 member of the advisory panel, they comprise from, um, from government ministries, from GLCs, from the industry themselves, uh, from academia, uh, academic uh, field, from even uh, individual. So what the government needs from them is to advise what needs to be done, what else we need to do to mitigate climate change, to advance climate action. And on top of that, we also have the climate consultation panel, which comprised of NGOs, the community-based organization, we have indigenous people organization, civil society, right. from youth and individuals. So, so the way to move forward 
uh, achieving all the moonshot targets that we put forth is to get and combine with all the advisors coming from the rest, from the men from the street, from the industry players. So we could have a foolproof sort of uh, pathway in order to achieve the target. Yeah, because we really don't want this COP28 to be a talk shop, right? Where people just talk about all their things, that incremental achievements they've done. We really need to talk about substantive policy direction and as well as getting feedback about a global concerted effort. So just to clarify this, this advisory panel will be stationed in Dubai where they will hear global proposals and then really give lifetime advice to the government whether or not to yes or no accept these global proposals. Is that the goal of this advisory panel then? Okay. In Dubai, you have the negotiation group. So those comprise of business, uh, sorry, from uh, the government. But what needs to be done is the build up towards COP. So we need to have a similar narrative. We need to understand what is required by the industry player. Currently, it's all disjointed. We have industry players that have their own targets, have their own goals to achieve. But we need to align all of those and consolidate them. So in a way, the panel will be providing advice what they need for the industry. So to, they're working to now, fundamentally. They're working now in this panel leading we up are. to COP28. We are. We have uh, recently, we have this forum where you pull all of the 34 members. to. So this is the build up that we need. So whatever have been discussed during that forum will be translated to what will be presented at COP28. But you're going to be put, you know, pressure is going to be put to you and you're going to be put onto the wall because many will say that when this talk take exercise taking place in COP28, they will say governments all around the world have not done enough, that the pace is too slow, that you actually need to ramp up the game. Are you willing to accept that maybe even with these advisory panels, all this will be still incremental and that when you actually go to Dubai, you'll be asked to even put tougher targets, for example, even removing natural gas from your source of electricity generation? This is, where, this is where the transition comes in. You cannot be doing it um, overnight. You need time. So COP28 is in Dubai. COP29 will be at another area, another location. So the build-up towards 2050 is most important. So you need to do carbon budget every five years, for example. So every five years, uh, policies need to be enacted. Uh, regulations need to be improved. So every five years, you'll be doing the monitoring and when you have that, you would be achieving the target that you wish for. So uh, at COP28, the narrative has to be similar and whatever gaps that there might be, it had to be addressed. So this is what the government is looking at and this is what we'll bring in to COP28. Well, let's talk about these gap, these targets, right, that we want to achieve in 2030, 2040, up to the end state of 2050. I think there will be a lot of pressure to say, can you deliver these targets earlier, right? Don't front front load them as opposed to back load, back end them to 2050. So a classic example, of course, is EV penetration here. I mean, in Netter, there is a target of 20% electrification of vehicles in 2030, moves to 50% in 2040, and then 80% in 2050. Contrast this ambition versus where we are now, 1.8%. It's a long way more to go, isn't it? I, we will understand the, uh, the challenges. The main uh, issue that has been discussed during the EV task force that uh, headed by METI 
is on how to have the approval reduced. Because currently, if you were to have a charging station to be installed, you would be requiring about what, maybe about a year. But we're trying to reduce them to only a number of uh, months. Maybe only three months you could have the approval. So from uh, a number of um, of agencies that need to do the approval, say mm. from 17, you need to reduce to below 10. So by having that, you ha- you shorter the period of getting approval. You would be bringing in more vehicles in. You would be installing more charging station as what we are targeted 10,000 charging station by 2025. That will be materialized. So the government put all this effort on how to improve the 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 time frame on achieving uh, what needs to be done. So so all has been shortened. And and I believe that we would be, even though it's an ambitious sort of target, um, but it will be achieved. I mean, this is one of the central challenges. The question here is really the debate of whether charging infrastructure is the problem. I mean, we've seen Gentari push out very fast. There was recently an announcement between Cellcom and you know, Salcom DG and Yinsen to even use the current base stations to do, right? So private sector is making certain moves to go forward. You're trying to de-bottleneck, move the process. But the fundamental concern is still affordability of EV vehicles. It's still expensive when you compare it to ICE. I agree. At the moment now, you're looking at perhaps uh, above $200,000. But what we are looking at is for Malaysia to manufacture and assemble their own vehicle. Uh, we need uh, not only CBU from from uh, from foreign countries, but we need to do CKD. So by doing CKD, we would be looking at to produce vehicle which is as what, uh, 60,000, 70,000, below 100,000. So once you move towards uh, a vehicle within that value, that worth, that, that, that cost, you would be looking at a different bracket of the uh, society would be uh, purchasing electric vehicle. We are moving towards there in its time, in its effort, but uh, we are certainly moving in the right direction. Do you think Malaysia's youth are skilled enough to basically adjust with this greening of the economy? Uh, I believe so. We have so many engagement with the youth. And um, at MGTC itself, we have uh, what 60 to 70% of millennials. Um, they have a voice and the voice need to be heard. So even at COP, we are bringing the youth over because the youth needs to show what, what they want. Uh, tell us what you need. Not for us to tell them what to do, but lead the way for us as well. Well, good luck for this upcoming COP28 on The Breakfast Grill. MGTC CEO Shamsul Baha Mohamed Noor. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.